on this, the 300th episode of the Flophouse, a special Cagemas show, The Wicker Man. And I'm here, Hallie Haglin, the star of the show. This movie sucked. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, and welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. Oh boy, Dan, it's me, Stuart Wellington. And for the 300th time, not really, I missed a bunch of episodes, it's me, Elliot Kalin. And me, Hallie Haglund. <laughs> oh, so, so Dan, you're continuing the, the tradition of not introducing our well, guest. she's been here it's so many times, I feel like she knows, what's, she knows what's up. Yeah, it's Hallie. Sh- Hi. <laughs> Hallie, why haven't you been here for a while? Tell us all. Uh, well, you know, because you didn't invite me. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good reason. Well, I figured you were pretty busy because you were doing some major things in your life. Yeah, uh, we've been using a different Discord channel or, uh, or what what do people use? (laughs) I don't know what that is. Slack? Slack? Slack. Slack. We we moved to a different Slack channel. Uh, so for those of you who are just joining us for the first time, who have decided that the 300th episode of the show is the ideal entry point... Hallie Hagland is by far the most popular, most requested guest on the program. Uh-huh. Uh, longtime friend. She and I shared an office for many years, pitched a TV show nobody was interested in, no. but I still think was really good. I think it was and great. It's still out. Yeah. It's still, if any, if there are any takers. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, oh wow! And, this is like Emmy- a like a like a pawnbrokers type thing right now. <laughs> and uh, Emmy and WGA award winner, winning writer, right? An executive producer of Problem Areas with White Snack. Boy, you've done yeah. so much, Hallie. You're very accomplished. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I also a mother, oh, but wow. my number one oh. title is mother. <laughs> oh, that's the toughest it's, job you'll ever love, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, tell us oh, all I about forgot. how your life has changed, Hallie. I had a baby uh, <laughs> a couple months ago. Four months uh-huh. ago. Uh, but yeah, so i just really been doing that. It's hard to get out of the house. You know, I'm scared mostly to leave the house. Oh, you're agoraphobic now. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, you know, Hallie, I'm sh- you have the thing that all uh, early parents have where if you don't keep your eyes on the baby at all times, then its heart and lungs will stop instantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so actually, just I'm just more watch. afraid that people are going to... Uh, get really mad that my baby's crying in public. It's mostly that oh. fear. Oh, yeah, now, there's that too. where's yeah. the fear of David Bowie, the Goblin King, stealing your baby on your list? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's... I mean, he's dead. So. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, <wow>. Spoiler <laughs> alert, No more guys. babies stolen by David Bowie, I You know, guess. I feel like I feel like Jennifer Connelly's character really overreacts because, I mean... She doesn't have to babysit him for a while, right? He's just doing all the hard work. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, just arguably bring him back goblins before mom doing and dad it. get home, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like that was kind of a loose agreement when he left after he was done spinning <laughs> that ball around in his hands and turned it into yeah. a snake. Worst case scenario, that baby picks up some amazing globe juggling skills. Yeah, which I'd I'd be incredibly happy to have. Although I will say. I was once in a park in London, England, mm-hmm. and I saw this guy trying to impress some pretty girls with uh, by juggling a glass globe like in uh, Labyrinth. And I was like, 
that is so impressive that you can do that. And at the same time, it is so dorky and un- unimpressive. Yeah, let me say, and, a guy, uh, no man hath won my heart with uh, juggling. <laughs> <laughs> Just say that. Okay. <laughs> Um, hey guys, it's the 300th episode. We said it in the intro, but it bears repeating. Yeah, what do we do on this podcast? Well, we watch a bad movie and then we talk about it. And by cosmic conjunction, our 300th episode falls on our annual holiday of Cagemas, where we celebrate Mm -hmm. the work of St. Nicholas Cage. Mm Mm-hmm. Is there any greater proof of a god than that these two things lined up? Mm-hmm. I don't need one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's certainly a spigot that keeps pouring out delicious treats for us to, uh, to a deal A spigot with. that pours out treats. <laughs> That's Nicolas Cage, you're saying? <laughs> yeah. Because that... I mean, the, that spigot would get clogged up pretty fast, right? Yeah. I was, uh, I was watching this movie, actually, at a bar on my phone because I had a holiday party to go to last night. <laughs> And I needed Dan, to like Dan, Dan's word about being present and in the moment when it parties <laughs> with his girlfriend. <laughs> like, is he's like, I'm both gonna not enjoy this party and also no, I'm no, 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 no. I said before the, the party, I had to kill some time before the party. I, I, it was the only time I could work in watching our movie of this week, which. Uh, is the Wicker Man, Wicker Man, as we announced. No, the, the Wicker Man. That's probably what it sounded like on your phone at the bar. <laughs> but uh, to the point of Nicolas Cage churning out movies, the bartender's like, hey, what are you watching there? And, I'm, and I kind of awkwardly had to explain why I was watching an old, bad Nicolas Cage movie. Uh-huh. You're like, uh, I have a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, oh, I love Nicolas Cage. I love him. He's always watchable. He always just... You know, he keeps pumping out those movies, though. Not all of them good, because he buys a bunch of stuff. He has the action comics, number one. Like, he's telling me about Nicholas Cage. I'm like, <laughs> no, sir, I know. I realize he's uh, he turns out a lot of crap for the money. Mm-hmm. Have you guys ever watched um, City of Angels for Cage Miss? The no, uh, Wings of Desire remake? I loved yeah. that movie. <laughs> Did you? I what, mean, was I... The, what was the, it was the, what Goo- was the song from Goo-Goo it? Goo Goo Dolls song, yeah. Iris. Was it? I don't want what the world called? to see me. Oh, right, right, oh. yeah. What? Ugh. No, but wasn't Ugh. also that Sarah McLaughlin like in the yard? I thought that was from sad animal commercials. Yeah. No, that one is uh, that. That's a different Sarah McLaughlin song. Oh, right? okay. She. Uh, I mean, a lot of her songs are really. I, mean, I think sad. a lot of things could be in the arms of angels, guys. <laughs> I mean, I don't. Why not both, as the internet Harps. says. Harps. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> feathers that have fallen out of their wings. Occasionally a, a, a trumpet to herald uh, the Almighty. Now, you think that angels shed feathers, <laughs> Alex. Well, As they, divine beings, they I, I would assume that the feathers just stay in the whole time. Ugh, I mean, and get really gross and dirty because they're just stick, just the same feathers with also all the crap floating around in heaven getting stuck in them? I don't think so, Wait, Dan. That, I think they shed those yeah, things. Come is on. that why birds shed feathers? Because <laughs> they get crap stuck in them? <laughs> It's as good a reason as any. Okay, <laughs> I guess so. Um, so look, uh, so Dan, Dan, why? So you, so the bartender asked a very good question to you. Why are you watching the Wicker Man? Why did you decide that we should watch the Wicker Man for this our three hundredth episode? I don't, spectacular. I don't actually think I was the one who suggested it. I think it may have been Stuart, but it was probably me because we're because uh, we want to do a Nicolas Cage movie, and we've done a whole bunch of these episodes, and we're like, what's a classic? Good, bad, Nicolas Cage movie. Yeah, we were going back, you know, for the 300th episode, we decided, let's not just, like, pick some piece of crap that he did this year. Let's go back and do... Sorry, the... Kill Chain. Yeah, let's go back and 
do the one that uh, many heralded as a new bad movie classic when it came out, but was before our time yeah. making yeah. this podcast. See you next year, Primal. Yeah. <laughs> Catch uh, you on so the flip side, The Guardian. <laughs> <laughs> I feel they did come out with a lot of movies recently. Uh, the I feel like uh, The Wicker Man might was the moment that a lot of people realized for the first time, like, oh, he's making some real bad movies these days. Yeah. Because this was also like a big release. A lot of the movies that we've been doing with him lately are small movies they're little minis yeah. little movie minis well, this... like you just fun size you just pop a bite pop them in and you end up eating more than you would if it was a full size movie because yeah. they're so small and yeah. you're like oh I thought I was going to get save calories by eating uh-huh. these fun yeah. size Nicolas Cage mini movies uh-huh. and it's like oh no now I have more Nick Cage yeah. in my belly than I thought I would if I just had a full size uh-huh. yeah. Nick Cage now Hallie is this reminding you of how irritating Elliot can be <laughs> are you getting flashbacks or I just love how Stuart just like blacks out like a trance <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, so the, and this is also uh, this is also a movie that has a relatively well-known supporting cast. You have your Francis Conroy, you have Ellen Burson, you got Lily Sobieski, yeah, uh, Holly Parker, star, and it also has a <laughs> at, stars at like Lily Sobieski at the time a relatively hot indie director, yeah, Neil uh, Neil Labute, who taught at. IPFW, the community college uh, in my hometown of Fort Wayne, Indiana. And I feel like I feel like Neil Labute should be addressed a little bit off the top of the movie. Uh, okay, of the podcast. dear dear Neil Labute, how are you doing? What's going on? <laughs> Neil Labute, one two three Labute Street. Okay. Uh, well, he's a, Los Angeles, California. He was a playwright, and then you know he made movies. His first. Uh, I don't know if it was his first movie overall, the first one that got his men. In the Company of Men. In the Company of Men. In the Company of Men, which at the time, so this is a movie about sort of an alpha male who enlists a beta male in this plot to sort of romantically destroy a woman, and he's doing it for his own kind of personal business uh, advancement. Mm -hmm. A lot of of it was shot in Fort Wayne, Indiana, my hometown. And the end of the movie is like the, the weaker man... Like realizes no he, no the wicker man Dan the wicker man <laughs> the weaker of the two men realizes the wicker of the two men realizes that he has actual feelings for this woman but of course he's treated her horribly and she is deaf and he's sort of yelling at her trying to get her to, to pay attention to him I and, don't think that's gonna help and <laughs> yeah and she does not hear him she just sees him like sort of silently like tr- trying to do this and it plays as this kind of final. A small triumph over these horrible men that that she does not have to listen to him. And at the time watching this movie, I thought, okay, this is like about what we now would call toxic masculinity. It's taking the woman's side. But then as Neil Lebut has made more and more movies, yeah. you're like, oh no, maybe he's just a misogynist, as yeah. you will see yeah. in, in <laughs> The Wicker Man. That- that reaches its full flower in The Wicker Man, a movie in which Neil Nicholas, I should say Neil Cage, Nicholas Cage punches or kicks no fewer than three women. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> who are all like, and this is a guy who's in action movies, so it's yeah. a little bit. It's like as bad as it would be. It's even worse because he's a guy who you know like works out, is used to fighting John Travolta. Oh, like yeah. you know, I mean, he's, at he's, least he's, those parts weren't boring. Like the <laughs> rest. That's true. Of them. Oh wow, yeah. I guess <laughs> yeah, you're right. The and this is this is part of the motorcycle period of Nicolas Cage movies, where his character, <laughs> one of his characters' defining traits is that he is a motorcyclist. Yeah, as we Although see in the opening scene. 
in the opening. So should we jump into the movie? Let's should do I jump it. Into my summary? Yeah. Okay. First thing we this see movie- is Aaron Eckert sitting as a trucker at a truck stop diner. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think we need to go into such detail on it, but uh, Nicholas Cage, he is playing Edward Malice. I will refer to him from this point on as Nick Cage. Uh <laughs> He's a kind of a moody California motorcycle cop. And the first time, the first time we're introduced to him, it's a woman who were, uh, the the woman working at the diner calls him Honey. Honey. That is not a coincidence. Mm-hmm. No, because Honey will play an important role in the movie. Uh, <gasps> oh. Not Honey Boy, the uh, the current film. I want to I want to see that. Have you guys watched that? I got a screener I, for it. Yeah, me yeah, too. I got the screener, but I haven't watched it yet. Uh, it, but I mean, I guess they turned Nick Cage into a Honey Boy by the end of it. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll, get, we'll get to that. Yeah. So he's he's bit, he gets interrupted by that waitress while he's looking at some self help tapes or a self help paperback that's on the spinner rack. I think it's a then tape because he, he refers to his tapes later. Guys, this is yeah. really important to the plot of the movie. Let's get granular. <laughs> so she about says, this. So, "Your salad's up." <laughs> uh, so the one first day, twelve hour episode of the flop house. <laughs> but one, we never day, find out if he ate the salad. That's true. Because then it cuts to the road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe he took the salad to go. <laughs> <laughs> so he's eating a salad when he rides his motorcycle down the, <laughs> down the highway. Uh, he's just stopping people left and right. He's a good motorcycle cop. One day, he pulls over a mother whose young daughter has been throwing a doll out the window of the car. <laughs> and as he's retrieving the doll, a huge truck hits the car and it bursts into flames. Yep. It comes out of nowhere. And the truck seemingly disappears. Like, I don't uh-huh. know. It's, even in that it just kind of keeps going. Uh, he tries to save the girl who is very stoic while the car around yeah. her is in flames and he's trying to smash through the back window. But he fails and it explodes before he can get her out. That's the first of many failures for Nicolas uh-huh. Cage and in he, this wait, movie. And he sinks into the cool oblivion of passing out. Did, now, and, but wait, when he picked the dollop off the road, uh-huh. was that reminiscent for you guys of the moment in Con Air when mm-hmm. he had the bunny oh. and he's like, Put, give the bunny back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I, that's what I thought of. I mean, that's the thing when you have one of these legacy actors, right, is that Almost everything he does is weighted with such significance when you judge it all against his huge <laughs> career. Oh, yeah. In the Ofra. <laughs> Raising yep. Arizona too, where like the biker like pulls pulls the actual baby off the ground. Am I? Yes, the, oh, the baby yeah. is sitting in a the baby's sitting in a car seat on the ground and the biker drives by and lifts it up and puts it on the front of his bike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's the yeah, so, biker of the apocalypse, with- right? Wheels within wheels. Every shot in the movie pays homage to a, to a, another <laughs> Nicolas Cage movie. It's funny how you mentioned Raising Arizona because much as in that movie, in the next scene, Nicolas Cage is sitting on a couch. He is, and I'm sure that's a, a deliberate mirroring. He has fallen into a depression. His friend, a lady cop, comes by to give him his mail that was being collected at the station for some reason. Uh-huh. And she's like, oh, you got your commendation. I don't want him to be like, why? He failed. Yeah, yeah. Also, that's also they never found the bodies. That's the other yeah, thing. She, they never like, found the never... bodies. So why did he get a commendation for this thing? Like, he, they only have his word that he was, like, trying to help this <laughs> also, didn't do it. Yeah, yeah, he didn't they, do anything. They, he he tricked that, a truck that, into running over a car. <laughs> are they saying that when that car exploded, the heat was like that in the, at the center of a nuclear weapon, and it vaporized the woman and the and the girl inside the car. Come on. Well, guys, I look earlier this week. I watched the original Wicker Man before watching this. Uh-huh. Oh, I like the original one. Yeah, no, it's a good movie. But I want to. I will bring it up a couple of times. Hopefully, not too much, but to make oh, some instructive not. parallels. Uh huh. <laughs> and this points to two things where I think this movie goes wrong. Number one, the fact that the bodies disappear points to some sort of actual supernatural thing that happens in this movie. Uh-huh, sure. Whereas The Wicker Man, you're never quite sure 
the original, you're never quite sure whether there's actual power to these pagan rituals or whether they're just a bunch of misguided, crazy people. Who sing some really great songs. And number yeah, number they, two... They do have some great songs in the original one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Number two, this uh, movie, the remake, seems to think it needs to give Nicolas Cage a tragic backstory as motivation for wanting to find a lost girl when... <laughs> Like, the fact that he's a police officer is enough in and of itself, and then later on we find out that this lost girl is his, so... I mean, it's not motivation when he's a police officer in California, and it's happening in Washington. Yeah. Uh Well, California (laughs) is higher up in the the pyramid of where you can be a cop. So it's like, if you're a New York cop, you're a cop everywhere you go. Uh, But if you're a cop from, like, I don't know, say Fort Wayne, Indiana... You you know you you're not a cop if you go to other places. And similarly, if you're from Detroit and you go to Beverly Hills, nobody takes you seriously mm-hmm. as a cop. And that's why you got to be goofy and stick bananas into gas pipes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, so another thing, two things I want to mention about the original Wicker Man, as long as you're opening up that can of wicker worms, okay. is that <laughs> the original Wicker Man is very much about a man of traditional faith yes. who is who is set against a and a prudish man who is set against this pagan, very like a like fertility sexual atmosphere and you really feel like he is worried about his soul throughout the whole movie and here they're trying to make it i guess that nick cage is worried about his sanity but it's nick cage you know he's crazy so it doesn't yeah it's not that big yeah. a, a deal he, no it's he's, like he plays he's like a big crazy this is a big crazy nick cage performance where he just kind of like runs from scene to scene kind of acting dumb doing strange things like <laughs> going bursting into a classroom and wiping off the chalkboard yeah <laughs> And there's and the first one is very much like this guy. It, it's a confrontation between old religion and you could say older religion. Yeah, you know? yeah. And in in this one, it's just a confrontation, I guess, between a man who hates women and all these women who 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 hate men. Yeah, I was trying <laughs> so, to figure out what the they thought the metaphor was or what Neil Lebuke thought the metaphor was because it does seem like okay. Uh, it's I'll like, tell you, Dan, the metaphor is bees. The masculine versus the feminine is all I can think of, yeah. and it's very strange because like. A charitable reading would be that the women have this power that men can't comprehend, but it comes off as just like women are villains. Is the I mean that is I don't I think that is the reading. I think the reading of the movie is women are villains, and they if they give them power, they'll destroy men. Yeah. But the other thing I want to mention is that because of that that kind of like to put it to put it one way like Christianity Catholicism versus paganism in the old movie the old movie is like really erotic like really strongly erotic yeah in the way I mean because it's got it's got Christopher Lee in it dude mm-hmm. Christopher <laughs> Lee so sexy sex sex god yeah there's a reason that count that there's a reason they have all those count Dooku sleeping pillows that look like him and you put them in your bed yeah it's because this lightsaber's got some English on it yeah, they were every time they were putting the Frankenstein makeup on him when he was playing the monster. Mm-hmm. They're like, "Gotta slather on more makeup. This guy is just too sexy. Yeah. Come on, we can't have a sexy Frankenstein monster." Andy Warhol did that already. Actually, he hadn't by that. So should we but, should we keep talking about uh, a movie that we didn't watch for the podcast or the movie we did watch for the podcast? <laughs> Good point. Good point. So anyway, Nick Cage, his mail gets brought to him by his coworker. Turns out his ex fiance Willow Woodward. Uh, she ran away before they could get married. She moved back to her home, a secretive island compound commune in Washington State called Summers Isle, where they make honey. And she writes and says, my daughter Rowan has disappeared, and I need your help. And her handwriting is... Impeccable. Perfect. It's perfect. Her handwriting looks like someone printed Sublime. out a letter using a handwriting font, which uh-huh. I... Suspect they did. So do we want to point out that her, her name is Willow Woodward, and Willow is a Woodward. Just oh, like her daughter, Rowan, is. that's also so the, a Woodward. Interesting. Yeah, I, I want well, to point out... 
that I mean, this comes from the original Wicker Man, so I can't make fun of it too much in relation to this movie. And but, Wicker, yeah, because the Wicker, original Wicker Man is sacred. Sure, but Wicker yeah. is also a Woodward. Okay, but but <laughs> <laughs> that's true. But yeah. Summer's Isle, this this island. You would think it's just called Summer's Isle, but it's named after someone called Summer's Isle. You find out. Yeah, it's like it's like the Outer Bridge Crossing, yeah, which exactly. is named for a man named Outer Bridge. Yeah. What well, does these things happen? Life is funny that way. You know, life is beautiful, Dan. Buongiorno, Principe. <laughs> Wait, but Rowan is a kind of tree? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. What kind of tree is it? I don't, I don't, I guess I'll Google it. What, what would what? satisfy you, Hallie? What answer would satisfy you? Like deciduous or coniferous? Or? I would like to know that, okay. yes, among other things. <laughs> so uh, so uh, something that we'll see later is all the women are named after plants, and Nicolas Cage gets frustrated by this as if they're doing it to insult him, and when he meets later, he meets Sister Rose, he goes, of course, another plant. <laughs> as, if, as if they're just doing it to bug him, which is hilarious. Uh uh, Nicholas Cage is like, I have nothing going on in my life, and I need to find a girl to make up for the girl I couldn't save, so I'm going to do this. Uh, he goes up to Washington State. He takes a boat up and sees a girl who looks like Rowan and imagines a truck hitting her on the boat <laughs> and <laughs> takes some pills. This is also the moment where I'm like... Oh, yeah, the pills. I'm He's like, taking those pills. is Neil Labute trying to remake Wicker Man or trying to remake Don't Look Now? <laughs> uh, there's a little bit of both, and he's failing at, at both of them. So he's going to, he bribes delivery pilot to take him to the island and then wades ashore to find some dour women who tell him this is private property. Uh, and they're with these two silent guys holding a sack of something. <laughs> and the sack is wet, so I assume it's bleeding and there's something struggling inside it. And they're like, take a look. And he goes to look and it jumps before he can see what's in it. And he shut and he, and he flinches and they laugh at him and he walks away. And we never find out what was in that sack. But they're like, like it's not your girl or something. <laughs> they say something yeah. like that. <laughs> and and like, the, the whole scene, I'm like, what is the point of this scene? <laughs> like, what is, I don't understand it. What do you think was in the sack? Yeah, what do you think was in that sack? I would to say quote, I would say there's jelly. probably a bunch of bunch of like raspberries yeah. and some kind of an animal that likes eating raspberries, <laughs> like a little bear cub. So, so like the, the bear cub is good. They give they reward it by giving it a little bit a, a couple minutes in the raspberry sack. <laughs> yeah, and he's mad because when they start to open up the bag, they're like, "My time's not done yet." <laughs> he's, like, he's like, "I've been counting in my head. I'm not done eating raspberries." <laughs> You guys I mean, are really like at... putting an emphasis on that P and raspberries. <laughs> that's how bears talk, Dan. That's how bears talk. Okay. They pronounce every letter in the word. They're like, Nugget is falling, but I want to eat more raspberries. <laughs> so then he goes, doesn't he go into like you know, the it's local interesting, though. bar bears love or hotel? Honey. Oh, yeah, you're right, Hallie. Bears do love honey and dogs love trucks. Hmm, interesting. So <laughs> What? Let's move uh, on. And, and, Okay, uh, so he goes into the local... I want to explore this a little more, actually. <laughs> <laughs> he goes into the local, like, inn or cafe, and it's all women there, and already he mutters to himself, huh, must be ladies' night. And I'm like, <gasps> fuck you. Come on, man. I miss like, he's, uh And Willow works there, and so does Sister Beach, a very humorless woman. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's hilarious. More Her like performance sister. is hilarious. Uh, and she serves him some mead and explains to him what mead is. Uh -huh. And he sees a bee on the bar and he kills it by slamming his mug down on it, right? But not after, like, well, not until after he like takes a nice hearty gulp of that. And you know what? <laughs> yeah, that's all that's I really true. wanted in this movie is to see yeah, Nicolas Cage fucking mead. choke down some mead. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've never had mead. Have any of you guys ever had it? Yeah, of course. Mead, yes. No. My, uh, so what's it like? Well, it's uh, usually too syrupy sweet for my yeah, taste. Yeah, it's, it's honey wine. It's 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 it can be okay. I have a I, so this will surprise not Stuart knowing the college that we went to together, but uh -huh. a classmate Harvard University of yeah. ours 
had her wedding and her hobby was making mead. Cool. And yeah. so there was a bunch of mead at the wedding and, you know, it's not bad. I would not choose to drink it normally, but. Uh-huh. But, you know, when you're hard up. But, I, you know, when you got, when you got, fair, when you got the shakes, you'll yeah. drink you're anything, like, you know. When on Summer's Isle, do as the Summer's Islers do, uh-huh. I guess. So, Hallie, you've never had mead, right? No. Okay, so what would you imagine it would taste like? I thought it was like, I didn't know that it tasted sweet. I thought it was like more beer-like, you know, like a, like a Guinness or something. Oh, okay, like, yeah. a, like, a, like a porter or a yeah, stout. exactly. See, because I always imagine... Or a you know, beer. Yeah, if you've ever been to uh, Medieval Times, uh-huh. they serve you I like have. a vegetable soup, but you don't have a spoon because they didn't have spoons back then. Nope. And so you have to like have a bowl with a handle and you tip it into your mouth to mm-hmm. drink it. I always assumed mead was kind of like that. Okay. <laughs> kind of yeah. like, like a low or... a low grade vegetable soup that you drink <laughs> with your other classmates on a on a field trip while you watch guys in kind of cloth night costumes knock each yeah. other. Yeah, and sand. that's the same reason why they let you drink Coca Cola there at uh, <laughs> at Medieval Times because they had it they, back then. They, they had that back then because of a time portal. <laughs> cool. It was like uh, how do you the think the kid got in King Arthur's court? Oh yeah, that, that that's movie? how that kid made his millions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be honest, if you had Coca-Cola producing facilities and you brought them to medieval times, you would become richer than the king. People would become addicted to that. Yeah. And also, back then, the water was not that good, so you know what? Just coke it down. Just drink coke. <laughs> That was, that was their, yeah, their original slogan, just coke it yeah, down. Just coke it down. And you know, King Arthur would be like, ah, thou ist the real one, baby. Uh-huh. Or was that Pepsi? That no, wait, Pepsi. that was not Pepsi. Never mind. Uh, okay. So right around so. now, we, we he finally finds <laughs> one of the objects of his search. He finds Willow, once again, another Woodward. Uh, who, I like how you said once again, even though that was the same one that you pointed out before. Okay, then Sister Beach is a Woodward. There, I covered okay. it. Okay. Um, and we're the Bernstein. <laughs> yep. Uh, and so he runs into Willow while they make up his room, I guess. It's the whole thing goes very quickly and strangely. Yeah. And Willow's like, I don't trust anyone here. I know Rowan's been taken somewhere. And a bell rings and she's like, I got to go. Can, and she leaves. Can I say, we got sidetracked by talking about no, mead. No, you cannot, Dan. You cannot we got say si- it. It's important. We got sidetracked by talking about no, mead. No, you can't say it. But Nicolas Cage killed the bee because he's allergic to bees. Yeah, oh, thank this you. Yes, he's allergic point. to bees. Yeah. And mm-hmm. this is reinforced when he is unpacking his bag and we see his bee EpiPens that yeah. he has brought with them. Which is, uh, either he has great foresight, knowing that it's a honey-producing Island, or he just brings them everywhere. I think you have when to you have a bee allergy, you bring your epipens yeah. everywhere, Elliot. Yeah. What if he was going on like an Alaskan cruise? Dan? You have to bring it oh, everywhere, yeah. Elliot. That's the everywhere. Yes, everywhere. Yes. Yeah, you never the, know. Even the bathroom. Even could be a bee in that toilet. I was, I was, yeah, you can't spell bathroom without bee. <laughs> I was thinking about about the use of uh, allergies in horror movies and how if it. It, you have to, as a filmmaker, you have to work a little bit harder because for people who don't have allergies, like Elliot just demonstrated, it, they don't they don't seem quite as serious. They don't seem quite as scary. But if you do have them and you've suffered from them, it's terrifying. I just think it's an it like yeah, I don't have allergies, which is why. Ah! But like you'll like Cat. for instance in Hereditary, there's a scene where a character suffers oh, yeah. from a uh, from an allergy attack, and it's horrifying and terrifying. Uh, but I, I don't feel like the allergy is really that uh, is that scary in this movie. But no, they they don't use it well. well. As someone who does have scary. allergies, one shame on you, Stuart, oh, for wow. shaming me. Well, wow. not life threatening ones. You have like no. Although one time I was in a friend's apartment 
in Chicago of all places. And there, there was so much animal hair all over the apartment that I could feel my throat starting to close up. And I was too polite to say anything because I was with some of my wife's right. friends and I still felt kind of awkward around them. And I was like, this is how I'm going to die. I'm going to suffocate to death because I don't <laughs> oh, want to say anything. Yeah, you're allergic to and, animal hair. I'm sorry. Elliot. Yeah. And no, it's okay. And then Danielle saw me and she was like, we got to get out of here. Hey everybody, let's go outside. And I was like, Oh, thank goodness. But, uh, okay. But no, it's true. They don't make much of his allergy. So it's like the movie, it's almost like the movie has to remind Nicholas cage that he's allergic to bees in this because he just kind of seems to forget about it. There is a point okay. where he finds himself in the exact center of what, like a honey patch. What do you call that thing? Uh, a well, place yeah, where there's I, a bunch of a bunch of honeybees. <laughs> Let's yeah. just say honey patch. He, yeah, a honey pot. He mm-hmm. all of a sudden he realizes that he's in way too deep, and everywhere he turns, he's surrounded by more hives. And you're like, <laughs> what? Why did you go this far in, buddy? Yeah, yeah and also, why did you pack your EpiPens, but apparently don't have them on you at this but, point? But don't, you take your gun everywhere you go, but not your EpiPens. Yeah. All right, when you're on Bee Island. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and ironically, his favorite actress, B. Arthur. Well, I guess that's, that is ironic. I, I guess that's ironic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because she was part B. That's why she had that name. Oh, okay. I mean, I guess that's it was, foresight. It, it was from the waist down, though, and because she wore all those kind of like loose billowy clothes <laughs> on the Golden Girls, it was hard to tell. But there were always pantsuits. How can you hide that in pants? Mm-hmm. Do you like I, I slide mean, part of your abdomen down one of the billowy legs of <laughs> your pantsuit? So. I have to assume they had to strap her abdomen and stinger to one of her legs so that it was in one of the le- one of the billowy legs of the pantsuit. Yes, exactly. Wasn't she did, wasn't she like a nude model in the beginning of her career? Let's look it up. I think she was. <laughs> B. Arthur, I have trouble believing no, that. No, I maybe, think it's who knows? true. Hmm. I think it's true. Dan, Dan Stu, checks his Mr. Skiing in the hot lane. Who looked up uh, <laughs> looked that Rowan tree Rowan Let's, before? But we I never, never heard the it, results but. of the Rowan tree. Oh yeah, uh, so yeah, this Let's is an important part something. of the podcast where Stuart reads. The rowans, or mountain ashes, are shrubs or trees in the genus Sorbus of the rose family, Rosacea. I gotta say, Stuart, that the genus Sorbus sounds like a band you would listen to. <laughs> genus Sorbus. <laughs> hey guys, I, I went to go see Genus Sorbus at St. Vitus the other night. It was pretty good. Dan, there. you didn't look on the Wikipedia page. You're looking just for Google image. The, this Dan, looks like Dan, just Google Jan, just Google B. Arthur nude. I did Tell us what comes Google up. it. There, and she, there is okay. a picture. She was and not a um she was not a nude model, but there was a naked painting by John Curran of B. Arthur Nude mm-hmm. uh that sold uh let's see for one well, it's expected to sell. I don't know what it, what it actually sold for, but this article says it's expected to sell for 1.8 to 2.5 million wow. at Christie's. So, so is that that's not that's at uh, Sotheby's and Christie's Mr. Skin yeah. auction? For, so for <laughs> yeah. a couple of million dollars, you too could have a painting of B. Arthur nude in your home. I mean, yeah. pending the desire of this person to sell. <laughs> It's, okay, so anyway, Nicolas Cage he has, has a has a bad dream of that car crash we see. We're going to see that car crash scene with, uh-huh. with the truck many times throughout the movie. And he wakes up to see a little girl running around outside. She tries to find her by he tries to find her by poking around in an old barn forever. Uh, it looks a lot like Tevye's barn from Fiddler on the Roof, just full of horses and stuff. And he falls through an old floor and then pulls himself back up, ending one of the two or three. I guess thrills scenes in the movie. Yeah, I was watching like, this. I'm being like, okay, I guess this movie is nominally like a horror film, uh-huh. and we're supposed to think that uh, Nicolas Cage like 
almost falling through an old barn is terrifying. I mean, like, look, if I was in that position, yes, I would be terrified. But let, let, We got to play it by, are you afraid of the dark rules? Yeah. I would watch as a kid, and I would say, it's not scary to watch, but if I was in that situation, I would be scared. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But watching it on yeah on a on a on a phone screen in a bar, I was not like, oh no, Nicholas Cage is gonna, I mean, he's gonna, gonna die gonna, in this barn, I, and then who knows what the rest of the movie is gonna be. Yeah. I'm yeah. not I'm not faulting. I'm, I mean, it is a bad scene and it's very boring. But I feel like you can't totally fault Neil LeBute for your decision to watch it on a phone at a bar. Uh-huh. Yeah, was this around the time where he goes back to his hotel room and he's like, has anyone been in my room? Did somebody? I'm missing some tapes. <laughs> yeah, he's good missing his self-help Stuart. tapes. Yeah, because he, over, like he overhears some people. Thank you. I've been working out. Uh, he overhears some people talking about the Wicker Man, and he's like, Does, "Is anyone? I'm missing my tape of Iron Maiden's Brave New World album with the leading <laughs> single, The Wicker Man." <laughs> <laughs> he overhears Sister Beach is just like constantly, casually talking about. She's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to get ready for the ritual of death and rebirth." Yeah, and it's like they're just so casually talking about the things that are supposed to be spooky in the mm-hmm. movie. But it was. I wanted to make the point, which I feel like I had. De- I have deja vu about this, so I may have said it at the podcast or somewhere else before that. This scene in the barn was when I realized, oh, this isn't a movie. This is me watching someone play like a point-and-click computer adventure game. Uh-huh. Like Mist or like Sam and Max Hit the Road or one of those type, or like a Zork type game where it's like a non-text Zork game where it's like, uh, where Nicolas Cage walks out of the inn and it's like, hmm, what location should I go to? The woods, the barn, town square. I'll go to the barn. Uh, uh, item flashlight use flashlight on stall i see a horse okay use flashlight on stairs go upstairs okay oh a crow it's like so much of this movie is him going to a location having a perfunctory conversation with somebody where they give him some information and then mm-hmm. him yelling at them and then leaving and going somewhere else well yeah. and certainly like later on where he goes to uh is it, is it francis conroy is that the actress yeah yeah, 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 yeah. like when when he like interacts with her like and he sneaks in after she leaves and he's like oh i find I find book that explains everything. I find a letter, like <laughs> yeah. like photograph of of Rowan. You know, it's just like okay. I mean, like you'll come to see that they're leading him down the garden path. But if you yeah. didn't know that, it's so funny. It's like okay, well, all these obvious clues have yeah, just been if you, strewn about. If you didn't know that, it would feel kind of like what they're <laughs> what they're trying to do in Under the Silver Lake, where this guy is like constantly searching for clues that validate his uh, like detective work. <laughs> Yeah, and and uh, there's just there's no atmosphere to any of this stuff. I think the I think they made a mistake in setting an ostensible horror movie on a beautiful island where it's constantly kind of golden light, uh-huh. and there's just it just looks gorgeous all the time. I don't know. Uh, I so don't know. I mean, it next, works in uh, it works Midsummer. in Midsummer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it works in the original Wicker Man too, but those are different types of movies. You know, the next morning at the cafe. His waitress, Lily Sobieski, shows up to tell him why there is an empty little squeeze bear of honey on the table when this island is famous for its local honey. Turns out last year's honey crop was cursed. It was terrible. And on the wall of photos, where there's a picture of the harvest girl at every year's harvest, last year's picture is missing. Uh Uh-oh. And then Miss Beach once again is like, oh, yeah, we got the festival fertility tomorrow. It's sacred. What of it? And Lily Sobieski does not recognize his photo of Rowan, she says, and says, when you leave, please take me with you. And he's like, what? And then walks away. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Nicolas Cage, in his uh, perambulations, his aimless perambulations around the the island, he next, this is one of the first, like, great 
funny scenes in the movie where he wanders into a one-room schoolhouse where <laughs> Molly Parker as Sister Rose is teaching and she goes what what is the man's role and these two girls just go phallic symbol phallic symbol <laughs> and then he interrupts them and is like hey I'm a cop I'm looking for a girl who is missing uh, and they're like look in that desk and he looks at a desk and there's a raven trapped in it and then they're like we trapped a raven in there to see how long he could ha- he could take it before he went insane and he's like that seems a little on the nose with what's going on in the movie but <laughs> okay sure and uh, he sees the attendance book and sees Rowan's name is listed even though everyone's like I don't know who that is yeah. and he's like you're all liars you're liars and, you're liars yeah, and Molly Parker really plays up the like coyly uh, like I don't know like sneaky Thing. Wait, yeah. you guys recognize that actress? What oh yeah, else? she was in Deadwood. She was in lots of stuff. Was she was in, in Six um, Feet Under. Was she in with uh, Francis Conroy? Did anyone else watch that movie, Her Smell? The I haven't seen it yet. I a think friend of mine uh, was part of the distribution team. I want. I I think that she's in that. I'm gonna look it up. But also, What's, this is the scene in which she, a school teacher, uh, misdefines the word quixotic, and then Nicolas Cage uses it in a totally wrong, different way later on. And she's like, yes, that's right. <laughs> I mean, as it's, she's not a very good school teacher. No. I, think we, I think that comes across. And she's like, she does that coy thing. She's like, we don't talk about Rowan. Uh, she, she died. It was, uh, uh, but we don't say dead here. We say she's in the air and in the clouds. How did she die? Oh, she'll burn to death. What did you say? Exactly what I meant to say. She bur- she burned to death. Yeah. And it's like, come on. That's like, come on, said. movie. Like... Uh, like and it's it again as you guys mentioned they're leading him into a trap and if you don't know that then you're like this is a sloppy movie like, and if you do that do that you're like these are sloppy trapsters you can make a movie about a guy who is in a deep investigation and in a situation where he can't kind of trust himself or trust the people around him or like i don't know like jacob's ladder or something but this movie is not that movie <laughs> Well, no, it's they, it's so ham hand. It feels like I mean, and, and Leela Butte had made movies before this, but it feels almost like a college film trying to do that, but yeah. with a bigger budget. Nicholas Cage, he's like, well, that wasn't very helpful. Oh, and this that's also the scene where she goes, "I'm Sister Rose," and he goes, "Of course." When he goes, "Of course, another plant," mm-hmm. as if another like, Woodward. <laughs> and I love also he's like, uh, it's like that's what you're catching on to that everyone has plant names, but not any of this other stuff. Yeah, and it's at this point that you're really like, okay, Nicolas Cage, you got to get off this island and get some backup. And the movie does a fairly good job, at least, of like showing how like trapped he is at this place. But I, again, to go back to the original movie, I prefer the original movie where it seems like the detective probably could get off the island much earlier once he realizes that things are going badly, but he has this pig-headed confidence that yeah. because he's yeah. a... Uh, a, a moral officer of the law that like he will triumph and he can walk through any situation unscathed. Just like nice how Nicolas the... Cage is a very strong man that can easily punch and kick his way out of any problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, for uh, the no, record, I, I, Molly Parker is not in her smell. I was mixing her up with Amber Heard. Uh, wow. okay. Okay. Oh, wow. I mean, incredibly similar. Mm-hmm. They, they both, they look, sound, and act differently. But, you know, <laughs> otherwise... <laughs> Uh, I, I, Dan, I appreciate your use of the word pig-headed since later everyone's going to get them some animal heads. Uh, Nicholas Cage, he goes to a ruined graveyard looking for Rowan's grave. Willow's there and she's like, hey, by the way, you're her dad. Should I have mentioned that beforehand? Now- you guys, we're totally overlooking the fact that he takes off his coat all the time, even when he, like, when he jumps in the... Okay, he has this coat uh-huh, that is... Yeah. 
a blazer. <laughs> uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. He wears it over a sweater vest. Yeah. yeah and it, it has patches on the elbows. But for some reason, he's willing to do anything and get as dirty as possible. But he always takes off his blazer. <laughs> so like he jumps in the lake when he when he's like he has a hallucination that uh, Rowan is trapped under the dock and uh-huh. he jumps yeah. in the water. Uh-huh. But first takes off his blazer, uh-huh. even though he thinks she's drowning. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Later, yeah, that's later, not a. I mean, th- whether or not he takes his blazer off, she's going to be drowned or not drowned. <laughs> she was because <laughs> yeah, he thinks he sees her body. He starts seeing Rowan everywhere, and he swims to it. And this is now we get to my favorite moment in the movie, yeah. where he wakes up. He's like he's like underwater, and he's like ah ah. And then he wakes up on the dock, and he looks down. He's holding her wet, sodden body in his arms, and goes oh. And then. <laughs> Without even giving you any time for it to like settle in, he wakes up again on the dock and goes, "God damn it!" <laughs> and it's with such with such annoyance, <laughs> and it it is they're trying to pull off like a double wake off wake up scare, like a jump, like a uh, fake off, yeah. a fake wake up that that becomes a dream. But it's so you, they run through it so quickly, and his response to it is so not scared, but just so annoyed. He's like Bob Odenkirk in any Mister Show sketch, just being like, <laughs> "God damn it, what are you doing?" I, I like how you're misspeaking created. A- neologism there with a fake up (laughs) (laughs) oh thank you yeah it's a yeah it's a fake up when you think they're waking up but it's actually still a dream but it is so it feels like i mean and i wonder if this is it that neil abute was like what is a more commercial method for me to get across the idea that women are evil uh i'll do a horror movie i guess but i'm not really that interested in the scares so why don't i just rush through those as as perfunctorily as possible so i can get can get to the scenes of women bedeviling and laughing at uh, Nicolas Cage and him hitting them. Because this movie totally lives up to, until the very ending, it totally lives up to Margaret Atwood's quote that everyone's been bandying about for the past few years about how women are, uh, men are afraid women will laugh at them and women are afraid women will kill them. Because throughout the movie, women are are laughing at Nicolas Cage and he responds by punching them in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's really crazy. And... I don't know. I don't know what this says maybe about me, but I think it's really strange that when Willow reveals that he's the Rowan's dad, that he never really considered that before this point. Like it seems crazy to me that he didn't that wasn't like the first thing he thought of when he started like saw the girl and he's like we were engaged like doing like he doesn't yeah. do any math. He doesn't do any attempt maybe to be like wait she a minute. Was a she, hoe. Like <laughs> He always, doesn't. He doesn't look at the picture, and he's like, to the point, Hallie. "Yeah, he doesn't like look at like the picture, and he's like, oh, maybe, uh, maybe she's big for big for her age or something.'" <laughs> I mean, she doesn't really look like him. <laughs> That's true. She's always wearing yeah, she, that red sweater, and he never wears a red sweater. She doesn't sweater. look like him. She looks like he wears all of blazers. The... If he if she was wearing a blazer, yeah. that yeah. would be different. <laughs> yeah, Tatty's yeah, then... girl. <laughs> If it, was, if it was a photograph of her yelling at someone, you'd <laughs> be like, oh, yeah, of course, that's my baby. Sure. Uh, now, Hallie, uh, you being the only woman here, mm-hmm. aside from, I know, Dan, you've been in, you've been kind of digging out your feminine side recently, and I really like that. But Hallie, uh, being the only woman here, how did this movie strike you vis-a-vis it being about a man running around screaming at women? <laughs> I mean, it was so bad that I wasn't, I wasn't like palpably offended by it because it, it, the, the misogyny didn't really resonate when it was executed so poorly. So I wasn't really offended. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. 
Okay, so uh, Nicolas Cage, next, he's going to get some information from Dr. Moss, another plant name, Francis Conroy uh, from Six Feet Under and many other things. And as mentioned before, when he gets to her house, there's just like photographs of rituals everywhere and all these books about burning people alive as sacrifices. He breaks in She looked great just... in this movie, I will say. Yeah. yeah. There's <laughs> she, oh. very young looking skin. The, who's the makeup Ellen... artist in this movie? That's what I want to know. And, and Ellen Burstyn, they both look yeah. great in yeah. the movie. They look like women who are on top of their game and have nothing really to worry about other than arranging a sacrifice and making sure these bees produce honey. And otherwise, they just get to relax and enjoy the beautiful islands they live on. And their like, beautiful long hair, which is hard to pull off when you get older. You know, your hair gets brittle. I know. I never knew that. It turns into like peanut brittle. <laughs> exactly. It's mm-hmm. delicious, but it's hard to manage. Is that why sometimes when... <laughs> make snakes pop out of it. Is that oh, why ha- when... That only happens to Medusa, Dan. Okay. When Grima is sapping Theoden's life energy, his hair gets all thin and brittle. But then when he when Gandalf kicks Grima to the curb... His hair gets all lustrous again, right? Is, it, is say, that why, Hallie? Uh, <laughs> I gotta say, Stuart, until you said Gandalf, I was like, which thing is this? Which fantasy <laughs> thing is this? Is this a Warhammer thing that he's talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so, uh, and he goes and he finds a room full of babies in jars, like tons of babies in jars. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, you're like, like, what am I at the like, Alamo Draft House in Brooklyn? Yeah, like more than the, more than the <laughs> usual number of babies in jars. I mean, like, you might, I, I can understand a local doctor having, like, one baby in a jar. Uh-huh. But the, the whole room, it's like, Dr. Moss, you want him to sit her down and be like, Dr. Moss, this is intervention. You're a baby hoarder. Yeah. You are just hoarding too many babies in jars. And it's time to say goodbye to some of them. And she's like, no, it's the only thing that makes me feel safe is to hold on to these babies in jars. I might need them at some point. Exactly. Yeah. And he's like, no, no, you just got to clean it out. And then he, like, takes Dr. Moss, like, on, a, on some excuse, he takes her away for the day and her relatives come and clean out all mm-hmm. those dead babies in jars while she's gone. My baby was wasn't real? in there. It, it, what? <laughs> I said my baby wasn't in there. Oh, good. I'm so glad to hear that. He uh, was sleeping so- in his room while I watched the movie. <laughs> You, you, but you, but you rushed in to double check to make sure that wasn't one of your babies. Yeah, to be fair, we don't have a baby monitor, so actually, it could have been. But he was there this morning, so I don't think it was. <laughs> so, him. so unless Doctor Moss kidnapped your baby, put him in a jar, and then returned him the next day. In which case, she took very good care of him, and she could do it again. And and I, maybe maybe I'm out of line here, but if your baby had been one of those babies, he would have been the best baby in a jar possible, right? I, <laughs> Yeah. Well, he would have gotten an IMDb page at least. <laughs> what every mother wants baby. for <laughs> exactly. their baby. Uh, so Nicolas Cage, he takes this opportunity to go and yell at Willow about not telling him about things. She's like, I'm sorry. And then they start making out. Uh-oh. You, you know that that's not what what he should be doing right now. Nicolas Cage, he has like an interaction with one of the male laborers on the island who are all eerily silent, almost like they're worker drones who can't think for themselves and just serve some sort of queen bee speaking of he goes to lady summer isle's house mm-hmm. uh now is she lady summer isle or sister summer isle i couldn't remember i think it's sister summer isle right okay summer's I think isle may- maybe because in the because in the movie in the old in the because uh christopher lee is lord summer isle so maybe yeah. i thought he was she was lady also and she lives in this place that's full of stone beehives uh, it looks beautiful. He walks over, and this is the scene where he's cha- he suddenly realizes he is surrounded by beehives, and the bees are like, it's Nicolas Cage, get him. And they yeah. chase after him, and he passes out. 
and he wakes up in the house where Dr. Moss has patched him up. With Moss, I assume, and other herbal remedies that you would find around the island. I do think Uh, that, like, if they plan on eventually, spoiler alert, sacrificing Nick Cage... It's kind of irresponsible for them to just let him roam around and maybe get die from being stung by bees. <laughs> well, Dan, you've put your finger on the major problem I have with the movie, which is if they are going to plan on sacrificing Nicolas Cage, which they are, mm-hmm. why bother with all the fake mystery whodunit clue bullshit? Why not just lie to him to get him to the island? When he gets to the island, hit him over the head with something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He wakes up inside a wicker man and you light him on fire sacrifice accomplished, ritual over, and you know what? All the time and energy you spent into this trap, you could spend yeah. uh, maybe making sure your bee harvest is better than last time, morons. Yeah, yeah I mean, with a name like, back. you think with a name like Cage, he would be extra nervous about being imprisoned. <laughs> yeah. yeah, to go back and, to and with the... A name, and you'd think with a name like Smuckers, it has to be good, and yet sometimes <laughs> it's not. Wait, question. Okay. Why? Yeah, is this about Smuckers? Why Wicker? <laughs> uh, you know they got a deal at Pier One Imports, I guess. I guess so because they should have just called it B Man and then had him be in a little hive or something. Or called B Movie. Uh, they're just throwing his wicker at the end, like it's a major plot point. But mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah, it's I, not like the island's chief export is wicker, and the whole time he's like, "We got to do something about all this wicker." Yeah. Uh, wicker <laughs> harvest is not good this year. That would have been a good movie. I do want to get back to <laughs> Elliot's problem what, with. The, would it have been a good movie, Hallie? I do want to get back and address Elliot's problem with this movie just to say again in the original movie you get the sense that they're toying with him because it is part of like their pagan ritual that it is important that this uh, man who I think they say is a virgin like come of his own volition to the place where he's going to be sacrificed and like they're leading him down the garden path to like sort of fulfill all these points on this ritual whereas you don't necessarily get that sense in this movie he's supposed to be a virgin yeah, in but the, how's in the, he supposed to have a baby? In the original, in this in one, original. in this one, he has to be connected with somebody on the island. I think is yeah the, by yeah. blood. He has to be connected to the island by blood and have to have come of his own free will. And but other than that, they could have just take it. Like there is no reason for them to be planting all these clues. Yeah. I guess you know what the answer is. It probably gets pretty boring on Summer's Isle. Yeah, all day, the only things you have to do are. Teach kids mm-hmm. about phallic symbols, mm-hmm. make honey, tending bees is hard work, but it's not the most exciting work, or just sit around the inn drinking mead all day. Or thinking and new plant names. They're just like making lists all day. They're like, have has, <laughs> have we thought of uh, hyacinth? <laughs> uh, Probably. And, at a cer- <laughs> and at a certain point, they're like, Heather, of course, why did it take us so mm-hmm. long to think of Heather? Laurel, oh, We should have thought of that first. <laughs> Because they're like thistle, is that a name? Yeah. Has anyone ever named thistle? Could Sister thistle? thistle? Does that make yeah. sense? Sister fern. I guess we could do that. Mm-hmm. Isn't one uh, of the, si- the like the fairies in Midsummer Night's Dream have like thistle in their name or something? I don't know. But maybe I don't. Is she part of the movie? No, there's spider web and mustard seed. I know. Mustard mm-hmm. seed. Yeah. Or they're like sister Venus flytrap. Is that two on the nose mm-hmm. about what this movie oh, is yeah. about? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, so. Anyway, this movie is about to kick into gear because uh-huh. he's about to come face to face with his arch nemesis, Lady Summersile, Ellen Burstyn. Uh, and they play a little game of verbal cat and mouse as yeah. she talks about her goddess religion and bees. And Nicolas Cage eventually is just like, look, I'm going to kill everybody here if you don't help me. <laughs> like he, just, he, he just gets so, he just cannot put up with her, uh, her like uh, condescending whimsy, I guess. 
Nicholas Cage, he finds a doll in a grave, and he follows the sound of crying to a flooded crypt, which someone locks him in, and he hallucinates for a while, and then Willow lets and him he out, like, and he's like, hey, I found... He stays down in like, that, like, flooded cistern for a whole, uh, for, like, all night, right? Yeah, he's Hanging there all night. Great... And you better oh, believe yeah. that he didn't want to drown. He, he was probably so up all strong. night. <laughs> Wait, what do you say? Do I you said say he must be so strong. Because he, he, think about, I try, I have to rock my baby to sleep. My arms are exhausted at the end. Sorry, I keep talking about my baby. <laughs> but it's kind of my thing right now. It's my yeah. brand. And similarly, staying alive was Nicolas Cage's character's thing, which is why he hung on so tightly to that. Uh, what great grating to keep above the water so he didn't drown but in the flooded But imagine that the whole night. I mean, I guess you're All in night. water, so you get a little help. And no, but he's and once he's your clothes like tread get water, right? when your clothes get super wet, they become lighter, right? <laughs> they float float better. And the uh, the whole time, you know, he's thinking, "Thank goodness, I took my blazer off. I did not want my blazer to be adding to my body weight yeah. or getting wet." <laughs> Patches soak up a lot of water. So he found Rowan's sweater down there. It doesn't really matter. Uh, he goes to the Sister Summerize Isle's house to yell at her, but her house, all he finds is an old man covered in bee stings and a nude woman covered in bees. Okay, that's all there is at the house, I guess. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, she is in the biggest, most beautiful bedroom. It looks like they hired Tarsum Singh to just decorate this one room for her. There's uh-huh. lots of like big, huge draperies, and they're like, they talk cryptically about how I don't know he's going into his trap, and there's is, and there's nothing to look at. It's like the Emperor's throne room in a Star Wars movie. Yeah. So this is now we're at just my opinion the best sequence in the movie. He steals Sister Rose's bike at gunpoint. She has an animal mask, and he's like, "Take that mask off." Hmm. He gets mad at masks from this one on, and he just rides around town on a rampage, yelling at little girls and pulling animal masks off their head, kicking open doors oh. and yelling "Rowan" into them, and it's just like my he is just part. on a tear. Him, yeah. him ripping the masks off of children was my favorite part, <laughs> except for when he held a gun to that woman and was like, "I need your bike, ma'am." Yeah, I watched that bicycle scene, and I was like, I couldn't imagine anyone thinking during the production of the movie that that could be anything but ridiculous him <laughs> bike jacking this woman's bike at gunpoint and then like kind of wobbly racing off on it <laughs> just the fact he's like he keeps he is so at this point i think it's supposed to be obviously i'm not sure if we're supposed to be sympathizing with him or if we're supposed to be like oh no he's gone too crazy but he comes off as a madman who is just like uh he literally just shot after shot of him breaking doors down and yelling, Rowan, Rowan. <laughs> and then every time he comes across a mask, just knock it off somebody's head like a big bully. And and well, almost and he, always the result of him doing that leads to, uh, it leads to women and children laughing at him. <laughs> that's the other thing. I think that's what also makes the scene palpable is no one seems particularly terrified or scared of him. They're just like, ugh. There he goes again. Mm-hmm. Goofy Nick hates masks, hates women, looking for Rowan. Oh, boy. <laughs> like uh, He goes, uh, he finds the pilot that brought him to the island. He's, the pilot is dead and full of bees. His mouth is all stitched up, remember? Yeah. The, oh, for, yeah. For like the first real gross out scare slash genuine threat of violence in the movie, they put almost no effort into showing this guy's dead body or like Nicolas Cage just sees it and he's like, oh, and walks away. <laughs> it's like gross bees. <laughs> uh, he goes to, he, uh, we overhear Sister Beach and Sister Oak. They're joking a little about how she's putting on weight and she can't quite fit into her bear costume anymore. <laughs> and, they, <laughs> and they hint at having killed the pilot. And then Nicolas Cage walks up and without a word, just punches Sister Beach in the face. <laughs> 
Meanwhile, uh, everyone's getting ready for the big harvest ritual. They're wearing animal masks. They got face paint on. They're dancing and parading to pipe music. It all feels very Renfest precious. Uh, while Nicolas Cage is having a, you know, knuckles knuckle dragging balls out Lily Sobieski fight, yeah, yeah. At, which balls ends with walls. him. <laughs> which ends with him back kicking her into the wall of photos. And she just, I don't know if she's dead or what. She's yeah. Well, she's certainly she, not dead because she shows up later. But like, she gives a look like they were, uh, I feel like Neil LeBute was like, okay, hold on her for a moment. We will digitally add some birds tweeting around her head. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and much like the bike jacking earlier, this is a bear suit jacking. Like uh, Nicholas Cage yeah, he, steals the bear suit. He steals Sister Beach's bear suit. And if and I learned anything from Midsummer, putting on a bear suit in Don't this situation is a good idea. Oh, and no, also, no, it's, no spoilies. It, oh, I mean, it's, it's fine. For I mean, what, I assume it's supposed to be just the Wicker Man, but. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so he's wearing that bear suit and uh, he joins the parade and he's like, Willow, it's me in the bear suit. And she's like, Stop bothering me. This is important. Uh, and she sees that Rowan is tied to a stake and there's all sorts of ritual talk that they do and then he only has one superpower punching women so he punches a woman and rescues Rowan and they're chased into the woods by villagers uh, but it turns out guys as we've mentioned it was all a trap as Admiral Akbar might say mm-hmm. it's a trap uh, Rowan was just the lure yeah. to get Nicolas Cage there so they could sacrifice him and they spend I think six minutes explaining this yeah. to Nicolas Cage because either they thought the audience was dumb or they just were like you know what let's just admit it Nicolas Cage's character is dumb he doesn't understand so they have to like go over every single point of their plan. I remember I mean it's been a while since I've seen the original but I remember the reveal like up until the moment when he has rescued uh, Rowan and then she runs off like up until that point in the in the original you still assume the little girl's the sacrifice. And when she runs off, it's a genuine twist. Like, it's a real shock. And yeah. I, I don't feel like there was enough... that It wasn't a surprise in this, but maybe it was, you know, because I've seen enough folk horror movies at this point. Uh, and also, a moment I liked here is Nicolas Cage pulls out his gun. And he's, like, trying to hold them off at gunpoint. And finally, he, like, tries to shoot them. And his gun is uh, empty of bullets. And I believe it's Willow, like holds out her hand and like drops the bullets and I'm like okay has she just been holding these the whole time yeah. the yeah. whole anticipating day anticipating this moment <laughs> yeah she's gonna shine them up <laughs> anticipating the reveal uh, and and we learn that Willow is actually Sister Summer's Isle's daughter what all the women are in it together ah it's a plot mm-hmm. it's a plot sisters and are I doing it that... for themselves Fine. and by mothers and daughters. it means <laughs> sacrificing Nick and Kate. Yeah. And don't we see in the crowd, don't we see the the mother and daughter who were in the car accident in the beginning? Yeah. And the cop. And, and the, the lady cop. cop. And the any of the lady cop because every single How woman deep in does the this world go? is part of the, the well, and then if only well, then, Nicolas there. Cage's mom was there. <laughs> yeah, Nicolas Cage's mom, Hallie walks out, Hillary Clinton and Jill Stein walk out, and no. Melania Trump. It's everybody. And but- Tulsi Gabbard. <laughs> and, Tulsi, and Tulsi Gabbard and Hillary Clinton are like, we're actually friends, see? Uh, and Queen Elizabeth II is there. Uh, the ghosts of famous women from history are there. Rosa Parks is there. Uh-huh. Mary Todd Lincoln is there. Cleopatra is there. All of human history has been women waiting for this moment when they could show to Nicolas Cage that he is impotent before them yeah. Nicholas Cage representing of course all manhood yeah. uh, because he is the most manly man there is Sophia Coppola was... was even there and he was like but we're family and she's like I don't care <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> She's like, we're cousins, barely. Uh, I wish I wish that uh, Nicolas Cage had had a moment where he turned to the camera and he was like, and steals the line from the end of the movie, The Uninvited, where he goes, oh, that was almost my mother-in-law about L- L- Sister Summer's Isle. Because for anyone who doesn't know, The Uninvited is a genuinely scary ghost movie with Ray Land that ends with him making a joke about how that, that ghost was almost his mother-in-law. Oof. And it's like, wait, what? <laughs> Why are we leaving on a gag? Uh, okay, so there's two different versions of the scene that happens next. In the unrated version... They pour bees in his face, and he screams for a while. Okay. Uh, that was the home release version. What If you went on Amazon Prime like I did, you mm. had the theatrical release yeah. version, where you hear him screaming and going, ah, my legs, you crushed my legs, like it's a radio play, while <laughs> we see them bringing him to the giant Wicker Man statue, and they put him in, and it's full of goats and chickens, yeah. and Rowan lights it on fire, and the ladies are all chanting, the drone must die, with big smiles on their Thank faces. Thank you, mm-hmm. Elliot, for telling me this, because I was like, is this a Mandela effect moment? I I swear there was a scene in this movie where they put like a cage full of bees over Nicolas Cage's head. Yeah, I feel like we wa- he... used to watch that clip. Yeah, in, and I'm like, like meetings. What? Where yeah, was we that? did. So that's that's from a different version of the movie okay. that was released. It only was uh, for home it was it was too hot for TV, right? Yes, it, well, it was too hot for movie screens, I guess. Mm-hmm. But that's but that's the famous Wicker Man scene where he's like. Be killing me won't bring back your goddamn honey, and they're just pouring bees on his face, and he's like, it's. But also, only in the theatrical release, not in that unrated version. So, uh, as far as I could tell, is the next scene, the little epilogue. So Nicholas Cage is dead; he's been burned to death in a Wicker Man. Is the six months later scene? Oh yeah, six months. Six months later comes up on screen in papyrus font, the yeah. greatest font of all time, <laughs> yep. as everyone knows. <laughs> yeah, we and, think like. Uh, like the mummy, like Arnold Vosloo and his gang is going to show up and start eating everybody with scares. Or a couple of Navi. Oh, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so, and we're at a bar in a city. James Franco is there and with his buddy. Jason Ritter. And Jason Ritter. Yeah, yeah. So it's James Wait, Franco and Jason Ritter. Was this the version Ritter. that I watched? Uh, the Amazon Prime version? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Is this in the Amazon Prime version? I think I felt so, Maybe when it said six months later, you're like, mm, I don't care anymore, and you turn it off. <laughs> like, I'll watch this Like, the movie months. ended six months ago. Yeah. You, th- you thought that six months had passed, and you were like, better catch up on all that sleep that I missed yeah. while I was watching this movie. I was like, my uh, baby has learned to walk. <laughs> <laughs> you're missing all his great early moments while you're watching The Wicker Man. He's like, he's like, mama, mama. You're like, yeah, 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 after The Wicker Man, after The Wicker Man, <laughs> Too honey. Too busy. <laughs> So James Franco and Jason Ritter are two bros at a bar just looking for tail, and they cannot find any until Lily Sobieski and her friend give them a come-hither look, and uh, they start hitting on them. And there is a surprisingly long conversation between James Franco and Lily Sobieski about how he's at the police academy, Uh he really wants to help people. Yeah, he's like, I just finished the police academy, and she laughs, and I'm like, I get it. Those movies are pretty funny. <laughs> Wait, so is, uh, you think, I assumed that he had graduated, but you're saying that he finished watching all the police academy Yeah, movies? that's why she laughed, because she thinks they're hilarious. And uh, Bobcat Goldthwait's in says, some of them. Steve Gutenberg's in, in a few. They're, aren't they in all of them? No, no, he joined later on. Which one, Steve Gutenberg or Bobcat Goldthwait? Bobcat Goldthwait. Steve Gutenberg left early, Bobcat Goldthwait. Uh, joined late. So he showed up as a I mean, villain in part two, but he didn't actually join the squad until part three. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then, uh, was he in Miami with the others? Of course. Everyone's in the mission? Moscow? With, with Tackleberry and Hightower and yeah, Motor Man. Was Hightower and all? went on parole. Remember? Uh, patrol. Oh, patrol. Citizens on Patrol. <laughs> that was the one I watched a lot. <laughs> <laughs> the, the police are like, hey, just to make sure we can, guys, everybody in town is on parole right now. <laughs> let's just like, let's crack down on all this stuff, okay? 
you know that there is somebody there's some guy in his 50s in Hollywood, some screenwriter who has in his closet like a like a police academy in space spec script that he wrote that he was he's just still waiting to pitch to Steve Gutenberg. So, uh-huh. but uh, anyway, I would call it Space Academy. Uh, so, uh, Lily Sobieski's like, "Hey, where are you going after this?" And he's like, "Home." And she goes, "Can you take me with you, or can I go with you, or whatever it is?" And he's like, "Yeah." And then we hear the sounds of bees buzzing and Nicolas Cage screaming as we fade to credits. Mm-hmm. And I want to tell you, this movie, I looked it up. This movie came out after Spider-Man. So James Franco was already kind of a movie star in a way. And he's appearing in this like tiny moment in The Wicker Man. Do you think, so he, what's going do you think on? he owed... I mean, it's like Aaron Eckert uh, being in the very beginning of the movie. Maybe he owed Neil LeBute a favor or something. I mean, there were... Oh, could be. I also, Ellen Burstyn and uh, Francis Conroy, they're like... They were big stars. This was 2006, right? Yeah, it was like oh, no, right the, after the, Six Feet Under wrapped up. Yeah, there's no reason that all of these good people should have been in Francis this movie. Francis Conroy was in I think that uh, they all heard Woman, that, like, sakes. they all heard that Nicolas Cage was in the movie, but they didn't know yet that he was in all these bad movies. So uh, they were like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, it'll be I mean, fine. And at the time, Neil LeBute was much more respected than he hmm. is now. Like, I mean, this is kind of what ruined him a little bit. Well, Aaron Eckhart was in In the Company of Men. That yeah. was one of the movies that yeah. like helped him get bigger. So that makes sense why he'd be in there. But uh, oh, and apparently, according to Wikipedia, Paul Rudd is the man pulled over by Nicolas Cage in the first scene. But I don't, I'm not sure I'm sure about that. Uh, so I th- but here's the difference: those those people were all being paid money to be in this, whereas maybe James Franco did it for like college credit. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean that's it's certainly possible. So the movie is over. What the women unpunished, continue to lure men to Summer's Isle to sacrifice them for their honey harvest. And I just have to say, it doesn't answer the question I really want to answer, which is, so how's the next harvest go? Like, was Nicolas Cage a good enough sacrifice? Like, what do you guys think? Um, I mean, clearly not. They're already sending out more drones. Yeah. To make more honey. Well, they need one every year, right? Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, do they need... I guess they do need one every year. Well, why was the... Well... Then why was last year's so bad? It's a good question. They never yeah. really addressed that. I thought this that. was to make up for the difference. Yeah, I feel like it's yeah, implied so, that they don't always have to ha- do a sacrifice. Oh, I see. I thought it was like they sacrificed just like a real doof. Or like they sacrificed like uh, like Eddie Deason the year before. Oh. And God was like, and the goddess was like, nope, seriously, this you. is what you're giving me? <laughs> but I mean, also the idea could be that uh, it could it could highlight that actually sacrificing somebody has no effect and there's no magic and there's no God. Guys, <laughs> I mean, that's fair too. That's a fair reading of the movie. That, guys, that it's, think, actually, it's not actually not the case, yeah. Do you think that the cause, you know, like colony collapse with bees is a, a real problem. Do you think it's because we're not sacrificing enough Nicolas Cage's? Yeah. I mean, to be fair, let's look at the facts. We've sacrificed zero Nicholas Cages so far up to this point, and bees are disappearing and dying off everywhere. Yeah. I think the only way to test the hypothesis is to sacrifice Nicholas Cage and see what happens. Yeah. Mm, but, I mean, that would probably spell doom for this podcast. That's true. <laughs> but no, he, we, we, make it, we make it like Travoltimus or something I mean, like that. He you can know. finally you know, have his wish of you know, being put in that pyramid in New Orleans, though, so... I, I mean, I don't know if that's happy. a wish. I mean, th- those are end-of-life plans. Yeah. I don't know if I call it a wish, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by, by like, sign- it's not like you're, like, uh, signing up for cremation or organ donating doesn't mean, like, d- donating. You're not like, oh, please, take him out of me right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, is my, this is what I want the most. It, when I, I had my, uh, I had a birthday recently, and when I blew out the candle, I wasn't like, 
oh, I just wish that someone takes my eyes from out of my body right away. <laughs> yeah. You'd only do that if you were on a really cool spaceship and you didn't need those eyeballs anymore. <laughs> oh, no, because I'm going to be living in hell after I go through that wormhole. Um, that movie, of course, Mars Needs Moms. Let's uh, put a bow on this one and uh-huh. say our final judgments. Whether it's a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or a movie you kind of like. Let's let the guests go first. Hallie, what do you have to say? She's got a very pensive look on her face. I mean, it's somewhere in the middle. The Zac Efron movie you guys had me watch was my favorite. The oh. Kirsten Dunst movie you made me watch was my least favorite. So I don't. This was which the was middle. the Zac Efron movie? It was that, the one was where the, he was like a DJ. The DJ one? Yeah. Oh, these are your no, friends. Or no, we are your friends. This the one because I was in We Are You Your Friends. I think you were filling in for Stew Balls over here in uh, the one where it was he was like dating and yeah. Michael B. Jordan was in it and Miles. Oh Teller. right. Oh, the moment when yeah. or that feeling yeah. when that oh, moment Jesus when. Jesus God! I, I love that one. That, that movie's. That was my favorite. That's the one. That's the one where they take Viagra and then they they have to pee with boners, so they're laying across the toilet <laughs> yeah. seats with their penises <laughs> dangling that. into the love toilet. I can't believe I like, missed that's this. That's not movie. how. So that's not how penises work. I love that. But then uh, that what was the other. Kirsten, what was the Kirsten Dunst one? And and I'm a big fan Upside of Kirsten Dunst. Down or not something like that. Right. Where like there's Weird a planets world. that are like next to each other. Oh yeah. Oh, there's right. like one planet about that is one. a good planet and the other one's yeah. a bad planet. I hated that. Yeah. So boring. So this was like in the middle. Okay. Okay. That that's been Hallie in the hot seat. Yeah, I I'm gonna say like <laughs> I feel like when this movie came out, everyone heralded it as like a new good bad classic, and I can't I don't think I can go with people no, on that it's one. It's boring. It's pretty boring. Um, it's only I entertaining think a lot of people, for like the last this, ten minutes of the movie. Yeah. I think this movie really benefited in that way from the rise of YouTube. Yeah. Around that time, because you could see just the crazy clips one after another. Because there were a lot of supercuts people did of like, oh, the crazy moments from Wicker Man. And they cut out, yeah, the parts where Nicolas Cage is literally just riding a bicycle yeah. around a beautiful <laughs> island. Yeah, yeah, Elliot, a lot of it looked Elliot, like... yet again, by interrupting me, you have scooped me. That was what I was going to recommend that people do instead of watch the Wicker Man all the way through is look up the YouTube supercut, which is very funny. Yeah, if you don't watch the supercut, you're basically day. just watching Nicolas Cage run around the grounds of the Mohonk Mountain House. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the Mohawk Mountain House, to be fair, is spookier looking than anywhere in this island. Yeah, you figure any any place you turn, you're either going to run into a ghost or, I don't know, some New York celebrity that's slumming it. Um, I I don't know. I You know, I had actually never seen this movie. Oh, wow. Uh, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. It is very dumb. I would say it's a good, bad movie because I think it's... There's, it's so bafflingly dumb, and there's so many dumb scenes. But I guess maybe if I got to watch it, I don't know, at like Jubin style, two times speed, or just a supercut, I might like it even more. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'd say good, bad. I would also call it a good, bad movie, but it is, you, you do have to get through some of the more boring parts, but it's not nonstop good, bad the way some of the other movies that we've given that appellation to are. There's nothing quite like sailing in the calm international waters on my ship, the SS Biopic. Avast! It's actually pronounced biopic. No, you dingus! It's biopic! Who the hell says that? It's biopic! Because it's the, the words word for biography and picture. If you 
All right, that is enough. Ahoy, I'm Dave Holmes. I am the host of the rebooted podcast formerly known as International Waters, designed to resolve petty but persistent arguments like this. How? By pitting two teams of opinionated comedians against each other with trivia and improv games, of course. Winner takes home the right to be right. What podcast be this? It's called Troubled Waters, where we disagree to disagree. Hi, I'm Joe Firestone. And I'm Manolo Moreno. And we're the hosts of Dr. Game Show, which is a podcast where we play games submitted by listeners regardless of quality or content with in-studio guests and callers from all over the world. And you can win a custom a magnet. A custom magnet. Subscribe now to make sure you get our next episode. What's an example of a game, Manolo? Pokemon or medication. How do you play that? You have to guess if something's a Pokemon name or a Medi- medication. medication. First-time listener, if you want to listen to episode highlights and also know how to participate follow dr game show on facebook instagram and twitter we'd love to hear yeah, from you it's really fun for the whole family we'll be every other wednesday starting march 13th and we're coming to max fun snorlax pokemon yes nice well let's move on to uh our sponsors oh. give them a little air time the flop house is brought to you in part by Casper, and it's a sleep brand that makes expertly designed products to help you get your best rest one night at a time. Wait, 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 wait. Are there other mattresses that help you rest multiple nights at a time? Uh, I wish. No, I don't. It's I, when you stack a bunch of mattresses on top of each other, yeah, and there's the problem, no pee at all underneath them. Oh, I was going to say, the problem <laughs> with those products is there's, there's a pee. That's why you got to get Casper. Okay, I guess I get, well, you know. I heard different things. I mean, the internet, you know, there's differing information out there. You get a one star, you get a five star, you never know. Yeah, but <laughs> you don't want to have to worry about whether or not there's a pee. Why don't you get a Casper mattress instead? Yep. There's because only a single P in Casper. It's in the name Casper. <laughs> <laughs> you know where the P is, right in the middle of the word. The original Casper mattress combines a multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. Affordable prices because Casper cuts out the middleman and sells directly to you. Get out of here, middleman. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. Get $100 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash flophouse and using flophouse at checkout. That's casper.com slash flophouse and using flophouse at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Is this mattress really comfortable? I have to get a new mattress. Yeah, yeah, you can You can use that code too, Hal. <laughs> I have a Casper mattress. I like it quite a bit, actually. Is it green? Is it green? Yeah. <laughs> why? Why? Why is that your question? Like not the color. The oh, earth. that actually makes more sense. For a second, not I'm the like, color of the what? You just dip it in Easter egg dye. It'll be fine. <laughs> I, th- I thought it was because she's like, "How am I going to hide a pee under that thing if it's not green?" <laughs> All right, I'll stop. Go. Ahead. Oh, is it green? And okay, I got you. Because some are. Uh, <laughs> guys. I believe I sent you both Jumbotrons to read. Is uh, yeah. anyone queued up and ready to go? I'm going to check my email. <laughs> now, you sent me two, Dan. Are they both for me? Wait, did I send you two? I, I didn't get you one at all. Oh. Okay, you, you sent them sent both to me, both I think, a, a business and a personal. Elliot. Uh, so you I'm happy to do one both. And I'll do the other one when Dan finds it. Yeah, I'll, I'll hand Stuart I'm, this, the other. Okay, so am I doing the business one or the personal one? You get to choose. That's yeah, the great yeah, thing man, about this Jumbotron situation. Okay, I'll do the the personal one. Okay, okay, so this is a message for Cody, and the message is from Jana. And the message is, 
Baby crabs, how happy I am to be celebrating two years and Christmas with you. Thank you for everything you do for me, not the least of which is introducing me to the other boys, the original Peaches. I don't know how I would sleep without them in my ear every night, finding clues and talking to Stu. I love you. That's love with three capital L's. You, my darling. Love, Mr. Baby. He listens to you every night to go to sleep. Uh-huh. Dan does that, too. Uh, well, not myself. I don't listen to myself to go to sleep. Yeah, you tune Dan out, listens you tune to a out your parts, but then you hear our yeah. parts, right? Because oh, yeah. it's like having my Dan, friends comforting me. Dan painstakingly <laughs> removes his voice from every episode and then listens to it as he sleeps. Uh-huh. And I, it's like Garfield without Garfield. Mm-hmm. I got a jumbotron. ABC Movies is the world's only movie podcast. Every week, film geek... Caleb Shively and writer Chris Schaffin talk both smartly and dumbly about one great new movie currently in theaters and one older movie that's related to it in some way, whether it's by the same director or just had a big influence on it. Recent episodes include The Irishman and On the Waterfront, Parasite and The Host, and Midsummer and force majeure that's abc movies actually best choice movies so search for abc movies on apple podcasts or spotify and i apologize if i messed up any names there so we're just broadcasting falsehoods now this this claim you gotta have that's a gimmick, most of what our show guys. is anyway it's a, it's a it's a big claim to say that the world's only movie podcast yeah it's it's a big enough claim that you might want to check it out mm-hmm Check it out to disprove it. Google um, it. World's only movie podcast. <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to letters from listeners. So let's open up that mailbag. Oh, wow. That mailbag's oh. pretty dirty and dusty after 300 episodes. Yeah, let's let's blow some dust off of that mailbag. And uh, do you hear do you hear the pipes, a pipe and a fiddle in the background? Perhaps perhaps some light strumming? Oh, Open yon mailbag, I'll tell you a tale, a tale of 300 episodes. Episodes here, episodes dear, 300 episodes strong. The tale begins with a man called Dan, doing his best, doing what he can, but what he could and what he should were not the same thing you will see. He called his friend Stuart. Stuart, nothing rhymes with that. Stuart was his name, and Stuart was his game. For Stuart was very much all about games. Dan had, you know, three names. Dan, Kirk, and then McCoy. Those are the three names for Dan. And they had another guy who I will not mention at this point in the history. (laughs) For there was some kind of thing that happened there. The records are spotty. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. Because there was a change in the offing. And that change's name was Elliot. Elliot descended from on high. Descended perhaps from a mountain or a cloud. Descended and he was very squeaky and loud. Elliot decided to join the gang. And so we had three adventurers. We, Dan and Stuart and the guy whose name starts with E. And they became the Flophouse Guys. The Flophouse Guys, what a surprise. Who should know when they were born? That this day upon this morn. That 300 episodes would have flown by. 300 episodes with these three guys. 300 episodes 
episodes with The Flop House. That is the tale of The Flop House. 300 more, perhaps. We'll see. We're not making promises, you or me. 300 episodes is quite a lot. 300 episodes. Oh, it's so hot because I live in Los Angeles now where the temperature never gets quite below 50. All right. Well, so Stu went so and got a beer. Uh, when's, and... when's Elliot going to sing his uh, episode 300 song? And, and That's a very good question. Here comes oh, the second God. chapter of the epic story <laughs> of the Flophouse. Fast forward 300 years you in got the future. You got to get a beer. And Howie went and peed. So I'm the only one here listening to all this shit. In the year 2319, the boldest year we've ever seen, when the seas have dried and the air is on fire, and yet the Flophouse guys did not expire. Cursed as they were to continue this show. Cursed as they were to continue as winds blow, as tornadoes and hurricanes, floods and famine and fire and other disasters hit the earth. The Flophouse continues... They hunkered down in a bunker with canned foods and canned movies. They decided that they should go until the earth was destroyed. The sun went supernova. But even then, a little of the Flophouse survived. And so, to you who are listening now, far off, millions of years in the future, reach out your hands and grasp a moat of dust. You must, for it is all that's left of the flop house. So that's the end of the second part of the song. Oh, the no, third no, no, part no, no, goes no, like no, this. No, no, there's no third part. Okay. Uh, Hallie's in the kitchen getting water, but she can hear from from there. The, uh, use the water in the fridge. There's a picture. No, no, this is much better than my song. Thanks, guys. <laughs> in, like, uh, yeah, no, sure. the water's in the pitcher in the refrigerator in Dan's apartment, which is, what's the address again? What's the address again? Uh, <laughs> One, two, three, Fake Street. Okay. Uh, America, the U.S. <laughs> okay. So is that the town? Not <laughs> even yeah. beautiful yeah. anymore, I guess. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. Um, so this first letter uh-huh. uh, is from Benedict, last name Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch. Mm-hmm. And Benedict writes, I'm, I'm, I'm reading very slowly, so... Oh, Allie can get back with her glasses of water. These glasses are so big, <laughs> Hallie says. It's just taking so much time to fill it with water. Yeah. Benedict writes, Dear Peaches, uh-huh. on a recent podcast, you mentioned 16 Candles and alluded to its problematic nature. That is one of the many films that I loved when I first saw them as a kid, but have not aged well yeah. due to them having moments characters, or entire premises that were racist slash sexist slash homophobic or just generally culturally insensitive. I'd add movies such as Revenge of the Nerds, Breakfast at Tiffany's, Mr. Mom, and Eddie Murphy's Delirious to that list. And I'm not even going to go into movies from the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Mm-hmm. My question to you three is this. Can you think of any films from the 80s or earlier that are unexpectedly progressive or is everything made before Clinton kind of a racist and sexist and homophobic? Sincerely, As opposed to Clinton, who, of course, was not sexist or homophobic <laughs> at all. <laughs> Sincerely, Come on, man. Benedict last name. With all, I think he was just using it as a marker of time. But. Yeah. I know, I know. It's just, it, just, it's, it, I, it, it just seemed ironic to me that the man who signed the Defense of Marriage Act and was also uh, uh, <laughs> like, a, like a sexual predator in a way. Yeah. Like, anyway. Don't ask, I know don't that's tell. A, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the uh, yeah, so I mean, obviously, I think it's a little bit of shorthand to to write off all movies uh, of that time period as having those traits. But I mean, it's what about what the a- crying game. Uh, I actually never saw that, but the, the subject matter. <laughs> uh, it's been years. I have no idea how it holds up. I, I, I mean, the crying game is also from 1992, so I guess it's technically before Clinton's presidency. But what about this movie I haven't seen? Um, okay, so I'll jump in. Uh, obviously, I think nine to five probably holds up. Uh, I think. Uh, Dirty Dancing is surprisingly progressive in some ways, um, particularly with the subplot about the uh, the young woman getting an abortion. I was going to mention uh, there's a movie from 1962 called Advise and Consent, which is about the confirmation process for uh, is it cabinet officer, secretary of state, I think. And there's a character in it who's a senator, I believe, who is blackmailed because he is secretly gay and he is having a gay relationship, but the way that the relationship is handled is not in a way that is uh, judgmental or sinister. And it's, I think, the first time in an American movie that you see a gay bar, and the gay bar is presented as a bar that men go to. Yeah. And there's nothing weird about it. There's nothing out of the ordinary or strange or like, dis- or gross or scary about it. Mm-hmm. And it's so it's like the character is taken advantage of by people because he has this secret, but the movie seems to have the point of view of, like, it would be better if he just didn't have to have this secret. Like, he is not judged for being gay, and the gay bar is not a scary place to go. And I remember watching it and being like, oh, I'm surprised. This is, like, a like a surprisingly progressive view of what it is like to be gay at a time when it was still mostly unspeakable in America. Dan, are you preparing your defense of Animal House right now? <laughs> uh, I am... <laughs> He's like, he's like, guys, if it takes place in the future and all the women are robots, then it's okay. Uh, I wonder, what about, I mean, what about something like Rocky Horror Picture Show? Would that be like, I, I don't know. Like, it feels like it's tra- transgressive, but I don't necessarily think it's being judgmental. But I could be, I could be coming from a place of privilege and have no idea what I'm fucking talking no, about. No, I, I think Rocky Horror Picture Show is, uh, it, it, I mean, I haven't seen it in years, but like, it, when you're watching it, it feels like it's a movie made by outsiders for outsiders. Like, the things that are that are kind of, like, tabooish or shocking in it, the characters are so delighting in it and are not... Uh, and the fact that every single character in it is kind of sexually malleable, but uh, the reason that they end badly is because the Transylvanians are like, hey, Frankenfurter, like, you're spending so much time enjoying yourself. Like, we're supposed to be invading this planet. Like, it's not related to their choices yeah. of, who, of, of bed partners or anything like that. You know? I, I want to say I, I'm having a hard time coming up with specific examples, but I, I do feel like before the Hayes Code came into effect, like a lot of early Hollywood movies treated sexuality and kind of like the idea that like both women and men might have sexual desires and like, you know, find pleasure in that uh, with a little more sophistication then later on when sort of champions of, quote, morality came in and uh, tried to clean up uh, depictions of such things. Like, I, I, I don't know. I can't think of a good example, but I feel like I watched some early movies and I'm surprised by how, like, equitable the male-female relationships feel and uh, how, like, satisfying the, like, the romantic uh, relationship is. I don't know. 
Uh, Hall- it kind of depends movie to movie, but there's yeah. definitely more room in there for that. Yeah, Hallie, what do you think? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> but you had, you had, there are movies like, um, is it Babyface? The one where Barbara Stanwyck is sleeping her way to success through the people at this company, the men at this company. And the movie is like, it may, it feels like she is, and she's punished for it, but by losing a man that she loves. But it feels like the movie is like, yeah, this is what she's been forced to, this is the only way she has to get out of her situation. Like, the movie is like, yeah, I guess we have to punish her at the end, but we're not, our heart's not really in it, you know? And that's one of those pre-code movies that people point to a lot. Um... Okay, uh, you know, I just picked out two this time. The last you got another another hard question for us to answer. The second and f- uh, what I like, Dan, what I like about it is that we had that you had this question much longer than uh-huh. any of us did. Well, uh, but you seem to think that I look at the questions before I send them to you in the in the morning. Like I I, I decide what looks like an interesting uh, thing, but we have the, I have this big backlog of questions that I'm just filing through, and I see them. Uh, maybe a minute before you see them, so it's not... <laughs> okay. Uh, this one is from M, last name, or sorry, M, rest of name withheld. Moriarty. Wow. <laughs> Obviously, if he's going to just give an initial. <laughs> well, let's look at the letter. I have a series of clues for you. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. I, the Napoleon of crime. Uh, <laughs> M writes, uh, hello, peach people. It's McCavity. <laughs> It's a trope in horror movies to have a character, usually the villain, be killed uh, only to dramatically open his or her eyes later to, to, to reveal the threat is not over slash an impending sequel. My question to you is, in what non-horror movie would this trope be most interesting and or misplaced? What if, at the end of Up, the old man's wife opened her eyes, revealing that she was alive <laughs> the whole time? Absurdly yours, M, rest of name withheld, I think at the end of uh, at the end of Citizen Kane, Kane should leap up and be like, "Of course, my sled!" and rush in and pull it out of the fire, like like Charlie's grandpa. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, did you guys ever see Dying Young with Julia uh, Roberts and Campbell and- Campbell Scott? Yeah. I, I I'm aware of it. I haven't seen it. Maybe no. that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would say. I feel like it would. I don't. I, I don't know how. Uh, but like Conan the Barbarian, after Conan hacks off Thulsa Doom's head and tosses it down the steps, like if his eyes opened up and he was like, "Ah, that would be pretty cool." Um, yeah. Uh, or obviously, if at the end of Grave of the Fireflies, if the little girl was like, "I'm not dead," uh, that would probably undercut the movie. What yeah, about probably. Um, uh, the Sixth Sense? <laughs> the twist is he was alive the whole time and they're what they're trying to gaslight the kid so they can get his jewels or something uh, that would be I so think funny I won this one I don't know but Elliot what do you yeah. got I, I don't even, look I don't even have any answers as good as that we should just move on alright uh, I, I, the only the answer that I was going to have that I thought would be funny is the Passion of the Christ and I'm like wait a minute that is the ending of the Passion of the Christ hold on um Hey, listener. <laughs> yeah, the end of Bu- uh, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it goes out of the freeze, and they jump out the back window. <laughs> yeah, The end uh, of Old Yeller. <laughs> <laughs> Bambi's mom shows up, and it's like, it's time to get revenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The end of Old Yeller. <laughs> Old Yeller standing in the doorway with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, rabies me, rabies you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hydrophobia. Um, anyway, uh, so this is the 300th episode, as we said. And uh-huh. so uh, in lieu of uh, recommendations, we had decided to take a little trip down memory lane, talk about what the podcast has meant for us, how things have changed. I don't know. We didn't really... We, we kind of vaguely... <laughs> vaguely thought of this notion and then didn't really plan much out so who knows what the segment's gonna be but um yeah so i expected dan to have something prepared uh (laughs) i mean this is kind of the time of the podcast where i would like to recommend a little movie um it's about a young man who should be inheriting a castle but instead his brother is inheriting that castle now, this young man is chained into a, the, a basement cell, okay. and his mother dies, okay? Follow me here. Now, he doesn't know what to do. He uh, breaks himself out. He chews off his thumb. He probably rips off his own ding-dong. The movie is called <laughs> Castle Freak. I appreciate the, the, the bit that you're doing, Stuart, but <laughs> the fact that it contradicts directly what I introduced... Might be a problem. I'm just, if we're going to give each other notes. No, uh, I know. That's fair. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess uh, we've been uh, we've been doing the show a long time. Uh, 12 since, years. Did you guys Did you guys think when you started, because again, I wasn't there at the very beginning, how long did you think it would last when you first started I doing it? I think Stuart assumed it would last until I lost interest. Yeah, probably. I mean, I remember Dan suggesting it and me having, I mean, this was 2007. So when he's like, do you want to do a podcast? I was like, what's a podcast? Uh, You're and, like, it's a year after The Wicker Man's been made. <laughs> I don't know it, how we would do it. <laughs> the <laughs> Yeah, this is a, uh, a, a PWM uh, timeline. The And I think the first couple episodes we recorded in my bedroom, like my bedroom in my apartment. Yeah, with a single microphone, a USB microphone plugging directly into my computer that I think I had also made like a kind of uh, homemade shock mount where I just strapped a few uh, rubber bands across like a Tupperware dish and uh-huh. put the stuck the microphone in that. Mm-hmm. So that kind of ingenuity would become a hallmark of Dan's production. Yeah, of the show, year, right, Dan? years later, later when Marty Scorsese makes a movie about the early days of the Flophouse. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how many years later it's going to be because Marty's kind of getting up there in years, but... No, no, no. They'll just use de-aging technology on him. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, and then uh, for a long time with the Flophouse, it was not a uh, particularly uh, formal or even scheduled thing, right? Yeah, we in the early years, we... I don't... Like, I think it was you, Elliot, who introduced the idea of, like, hey, guys, we can come up with a schedule ahead of time... And that will help us uh, stay on schedule. But that was like was a big four or five years in. <laughs> yeah, we should have hit 300 a lot earlier. Because otherwise it was like, oh, we haven't done an episode in a little while. Are you guys free tonight? Yeah, I guess so. Okay. Yeah, and well, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't quite to that level. But it was like, I'd be like, uh, hey, in a couple days, are you okay? And like, if someone wasn't able to be there, I'd be like, okay, we're just going to get a guest host in. And... Mm. Uh, and so a lot of that early stuff was very uh-huh. uneven and erratic. That was why Hallie had to watch a movie with Kirsten Dunst and uh, two cities uh, above yeah. each other. Garbage. 
<laughs> Man, I don't even remember that movie. I, like, I remember that it exists, but I don't remember anything about it. Hallie, what do you remember about it? What, Hallie, you've been on how many episodes of the show? Probably at least three. three. <laughs> and I at least remember. one live show, I right? I remember those three. Uh, did you do the, you did a Fifty Shades of Grey? Oh, or? yeah. And I've done the live show. And uh-huh. uh, That was the Fifty Shades of Grey one, wasn't it? Oh, right. The live show? Um. Yeah. Oh, I was the zookeeper. I did the zookeeper. Oh, cool. Yeah, I missed oh, right, that one yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, I think that ta- was your frequent sub. Or in yeah, the yeah. Early did, years. did you feel a lot of pressure having to be my substitute? <laughs> or well, were you no, like, no, I've never listened idiot, to the podcast. So. <laughs> oh, I, I, I don't, I don't technically blame you. <laughs> no. Uh, no. Uh, yeah, I did. <laughs> 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 so they, I looked uh, it up. So, there are 14 episodes tagged with Hallie's name on the website. Although there may be even more episodes because I don't think I figured out how to use tags until later on in our <laughs> process. I mean, but we also talked about Hallie a lot, right? Because Hallie is one of those performers where when she's not around, you're just like, "What's Hallie doing? Mm-hmm. Where's Hallie during this? Yeah. What's going on with Hallie?" Changing diapers. And, and so how has your life changed since you started with the Flophouse? Do you think you'd be a mother now if you hadn't been a Flophouse guest? <laughs> no. No. Uh, I, uh, my life has changed. You hadn't even slept with your husband, you know. I hadn't slept with anybody. Before the... Oh, wow. <laughs> but then I saw a movie with sex on this podcast, and I was like, yeah. what's that You're like? like? I'll try anything once. All right. And that's when I got pregnant that one time. Uh, Elliot didn't have children at the start of this podcast. How has the podcast informed your parenting? Uh, well, I think hanging out with you guys regularly has really changed. It really prepared me for having two young sons who uh, I just have to like. I mean, we're keep older. An eye on. We're both older than you, but I yeah. But I mean, uh, when it comes to certain types of emotional things, I don't know. But uh, the I, uh, it's weird for me to think back, especially like our lives have changed in many ways since the since we started doing this together and that like uh-huh. we're just at like super different places and it's nice that this has provided such a uh, such a core for us to keep our lives revolving around yeah. all those years yeah i started this podcast because i was a struggling wannabe comedy person and uh-huh. now i've grown fat and complacent mm-hmm. so <laughs> not yeah now that you've made it you're yeah. like who cares? Throw yeah. it all in the garbage. Let's go. Throw it all away by doing green. a terrible 300th episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I know, well, I, was, I know that doing this has been a very meaningful thing to me, and I and it's always hugely rewarding when people are like, "Oh, I love your podcast," and I'm like, "You listen to that?" And then I'm like, mm-hmm. "Oh, we've been doing this for so long," and I guess that's why. I guess we got to drop that big bombshell that this is the last episode. No, shut up! It's the last episode, Dan. <laughs> You're gonna really like. There are people out there whose hearts just plummeted. What am I going to do know, with I'm my sorry. Sundays now? Uh, no. Relax hey, and so how enjoy long? them, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is part of me that's like, oh, someday when we're not doing this anymore, I don't want to, I'm not hoping it happens soon, but then I'll be able to like just watch whatever movie I want. <laughs> and I won't have to be like, oh, yeah, well, I do want to watch this screener of Booksmart, but I got to watch The Wicker Man. So, uh, but so, guys, how long do you think we're going to do it for? Let, should we just set an end date now or what? Do this. I do like the idea that you <laughs> want to watch a screener of Booksmart when I know you always watch the Flaphouse movies 
while like on an iPad while you're doing the dishes. Yeah, I don't think it yeah, actually I, I, interferes with your schedule all that much to watch these oh, movies. It, 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 no, but the dishwashing time is when I get to watch movies. Oh, okay. So like I do put like I could be watch, like, okay, so I wouldn't be watching that screen or Booksmart, but I could be watching uh-huh. something on like the Turner Classic Movies app. You know, is that why when you guys have dinner, you're like everything gets a fucking ramekin? Like you're putting everything in little dishes? <laughs> like you're even putting ketchup in a little ramekin and shit? <laughs> yeah. There is part of me that when the when the when the dish when the sink is filling up with dishes, I'm like more movie time later. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Ever since I started uh, really concentrating on mise en place, uh, <laughs> I've been watching a lot more movies. Danielle's like, yeah. I don't think we need a different a different fork for each course. Uh-huh. I'm like, no, 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 it's the proper way to do it. Yep. But and there. there Mise en place, so he can think about mise en scene. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, there are nights when Danielle's like, I'll do the dishes for you. And I'm like, no, 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 it's fine. And I'm like slapping plates out of her hands. Like, I'll take care of that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, guys, look, I, I know we, we talked about doing some big, crazy things for this 300th episode. Uh-huh. And then we were like, you know what? That's a lot of work. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's keep let's it in the family. Episode. But uh, I think, you know, I enjoy doing this with you guys all the time, and I hope we get to do it for many, many more years to come. And I know we can because it's not like anyone it's not like anyone can tell us. Yeah, no one's stopping us. Anymore. I feel like the yeah. next— no, I feel John like, Lithgow isn't coming in being like, no podcasting in this town. I feel like the next time we have Hallie on, I think you should just get to pick the movie. <laughs> yeah, Hallie. <laughs> I don't know why we keep making you watch real, these dog yeah, shit you know. movies. Yeah, I'd love that. <laughs> Hallie, what movie would you have us watch? I don't know. Do, don't put me on the spot here. I um, mean, okay. maybe City of Angels. You've already mentioned. Oh that. yeah, that that's a good oh, movie. Yeah. Um, too good. Too 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 beautiful for this world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We would we would pull up the Skype channel with Elliot, and his eyeballs had been ripped out because he had seen something too beautiful, and he didn't want to gaze <laughs> upon anything else. Yep, yep. Event Horizon again. Uh, so guys. I want to, you know who I want to thank for doing this. I want to thank Dan, you for coming up with this idea. Mm-hmm. Hallie, you for being a guest. Stuart, you for making this show uh, possible and great and for letting me be your co-host on it. And I want to thank the listeners for sticking with us all this time. How about that, huh? Mm-hmm. Sounds great. Because without them, we'd just be howling into the void. Just Which is what I assumed knowing. we were doing the yeah. first couple of years. Oh, well, we probably were. I assumed Dan was just like keeping them in his vault, like <laughs> Prince was keeping all his videos in a vault. Yeah, and my urine <laughs> bottles. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, you're like, I'll soak the podcast in this urine to, to preserve it. And it's like that's not really how files work, Dan. No. Uh, but that's I do remember Dan at the time. You were like, I'm going to keep them in my vault, and then I'll release them every ten years, so a new generation of flop listeners will have them. And I'm like, but you haven't released them. Yet the first time. There's mm-hmm. no demand for it. Mm-hmm. And he was like, it works for Disney. It works for me. And then you introduced Dan Plus, which was your streaming channel, uh-huh. right? With the Dandelorian. That was the show you made. <laughs> yeah. Loves and Dandelions. Dan uh-huh. in real life. It was <laughs> yeah, the yeah. only movie that you could see on that. Some kind of a pancake-based movie. Mm-hmm. Now, <laughs> I just realized when we first started doing the show, could you imagine, like, the fact that you have now written for Mystery Science Theater 3000 is crazy. <laughs> Yeah, it's a crazy I know. It thing. Really makes 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 this show obsolete because I, I I achieved my other my other bad movie dream. Mm-hmm. But the uh, but yeah, it's that if you do if you put out into the universe the things that you want to do, often the universe will be like, all right, I'll allow it this time. You yeah. know, it'll be a nice judge as opposed to the hanging judge that the universe often is. Do you think this show helped you get that uh, gig? Do you think it was an? Aid? Yeah, I think so. I think it. I think uh, 
it helped. Uh, I'm, uh, I think having been the head writer of the Daily Show probably helped quite a bit too. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't think they looked at that. I think that's the major thing. Just give me a little. But the first time I met Joel, it, we, we met up and he goes, is that, are you Elliot Kalen from the Flophouse? Mm-hmm. And so like he had done his research on me. I think it, I think it helped that I was like, uh, I mean, he, he heard of the Flophouse, I'm sure, because I wrote to him and then he looked me up. But the, I think it helped to establish my bad movie, Bona Fides, my BMBFs. So I think, uh, yeah, I think it did help. Uh, well, guys, that was a nice little... I mean, I'll say the, I'm very, I feel very lucky. The flop house has opened a lot of doors for me, yeah. and someday they will for you too, Dan. <laughs> I've done things that I wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Uh, I mean, certainly, like if anyone contacts me to do anything, it is rarely because I am a writer for a popular uh, television program. It's because I am front and center on uh, this dumb little show we do. So mm. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly given me a little bit of the like. It's it's certainly helped me professionally. I mean, even though I don't work in the the comedy field or anything, but the you know giving me the confidence to like open up a small business and giving me a place to meet with people who are listeners and all that stuff. I I don't know. Like when we first started doing this show, I was working for uh, a company, and I there was a point early on where I got laid off, and it was kind of soul crushing. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, it's nice that I'm not laid off anymore, <laughs> and now I work for myself. Yeah. You'd have to fire yourself at this point, right? Mm-hmm. But I know what I've done. <laughs> uh, okay, guys. So, yeah, that was, that was nice, guys. Thanks for, thanks for indulging us, listeners, with talking about ourselves. And Hallie also for sitting through it. Thanks for including <laughs> me in this very special episode, guys. I feel honored. Yeah, and, I, you know, we should... I. I, I, don't, I don't think there's I, anyone else we would want to have. No, no not, at, not all. at all. And Hallie, would you promise to come back for our 600th episode? Should we all be alive still by that point? Oh mm-hmm. my God, yeah. Then my kid will be like old, and I won't have to breastfeed him anymore. <laughs> well, let's have. <laughs> let's have. Well, well you don't you have to. <laughs> you'll be one of those moms who's like, uh, no, I just want to keep that connection, so I'm breastfeeding him even though he's 13 years but old. But his immune system. Come in. <laughs> Let's have her. Let's have her back before that. I I feel bad. I I did hold off for a while because I'm like, oh, Hallie's executive producing this show, and then she was pregnant. She doesn't have time for our stupidity. But now, hopefully, she has a little more time for our stupidity. I feel like this is the second time one of our friends. You're like, I don't know if they're going to have time to be on a podcast. They just had a kid, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure when you have a kid, you're like, can I have two hours away for a second? Can I have an excuse to leave my house, please? It's true. All right. Well, uh, we should say all our usual jazz. Uh, thanks for. You shouldn't have said jazz, Dan. Now that Elliot moved out to LA, he understands jazz. Look, that's what happened. You saw the movie. If you you move out to LA and just get jazz and you play piano in a restaurant. Elliot invented jazz when he moved out there. <laughs> um, thank you to Maximum Fun, our network. Go over to maximumfun.org to, to listen to a bunch of other great shows. Thank you to the donors uh-huh. who help uh, keep us going through Maximum Fun. Without your support, as much as we love the show, we probably couldn't do it. Uh, I mean, we, I don't know about... yeah. We could we do it, but we probably would not point. be able to make the time in our busy lives if we weren't getting yeah. paid. And uh, please uh, tweet about us, social media of your choice about us. Leave us a review on iTunes, uh-huh. a good review. Yeah, be, be, be gentle on this one, guys. Uh, 
And I think that's about it, unless anyone has anything to say. Uh, uh, Hallie, you got anything to plug? <laughs> no. Motherhood? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> she refuses. <laughs> All right. Well, if, if that's the case, thanks for listening to us for lo these many years. Uh, for the Flophouse, I've been Dan McCoy. I've been Stuart Wellington. I'm Elliot Kalin. And I'm Holly Hagland. See you next time. Bye. Dan, at this point, you know that our relationship is strictly business. Mm-hmm. I very hurt. It used to that. be strictly ballroom, and then Dan broke his ankle. <laughs> Dan, he tore his ACL, yet he couldn't <laughs> dance the way he used to. Uh, danced like an angel, I used to. Okay. I loved that movie. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.